Welcome to the Hockey Town West podcast. Here to talk all things Griffins, Firebirds, and Walleye are your hosts, Nick Harrington and Brandon Cook. All right, so this episode is going to be a little different for everybody. Uh, we've got we've got a special guest with us today, Mr. Yeah, Tyler Kuehl. No, <laughs> not you. It is special that you're here every week, but you know. Uh, we got Mr. Tyler Kuehl, uh, which, I mean, what, MLive, Daily Faceoff, what, what do you got going now, buddy? I cover first of all thank you guys for having me on the show tonight on on this lovely sunday where nothing has happened in michigan um no i yeah so m live daily face off college hockey news and i think that's it for now i occasionally do some broadcasting i actually have a western michigan basketball game coming up next saturday to call so i do lots of things and it's nice that i get to do it because my wife who is sitting in the living room right now uh, listening to me ramble on here on this podcast uh, makes enough money so I can do the dumb fun stuff. So it's great. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, I well, she's a nurse for those that don't know, registered nurse, works in the postpartum floor. I was told when I first started dating her uh, by a guy I was working with at a restaurant. He said, Good, you should stay with that because I'm married to a nurse and you don't have any idea how much fun stuff I can do because she makes a lot of money. Nine years later, here we are. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's good to have you on, and everyone, welcome to the Hockey Town West podcast. That's Tyler. I'm Brandon, and then the other guy over there is Nick, who just got back from Detroit. How you doing, buddy? Oh, man, I hate the travel back. The travel to is always fun, but the travel back is always stressful and annoying, and I hate it. That's the worst part of trying to just going to the game. Says, and the good thing is we won. That's the most important yes. thing. We won. It was funny. Uh I asked Brandon, I'm like, they didn't, re- they didn't announce us during the game at all, but uh, for TV, but in the stadium, they announced every, I think Taylor Decker reported eligible about seven times tonight. And they used it to announce on the entire, everybody in the stadium knew the first time it happened, we all laughed. And then by the seventh time, I was like, okay, I get it. Dan. Like, you're mad. I get it. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Hopefully this is not anything to continue throughout the rest of the playoffs so well i heard it was pretty loud when dan skipper checked in there i was watching the game at a family gathering so we had the tv muted but when skipper i saw a lot of people applauding that and then he had the catch of course in the game for the lions uh, maybe it was skipper i can't remember who it was but i mean they did it like seven times it was it was crazy but gotta let them know yep Should don't be want the second any seed but whatever what do i know <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get lucky there for a minute watching the Dallas game earlier. Like they started off really slow and uh, the Eagles got beat by the Giants. So I was like, oh, my God, can we actually pull this off? And then, of course, Dallas, Dallas, and they won. But I, if, we, yeah, if right. we start going in the NFL, I'm just going to have an emotional breakdown talking about who the Lions are playing next week. So let's not do that. Let's uh, let's ho- jump into the like, welcome to a hockey podcast where we talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> it happens so often. But let's jump into the Griffins because I mean, come on, a five-game win streak here, boys. Like this is this is uncharted territory this season. I'm not but used to this. It's uncharted for two seasons. I haven't seen it ever. Well, I but- looked this up, and the last time it happened, guys, was the happened to be coincidentally the last time the Griffins made the playoffs in 2018, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So, fortunately, the team had like a what was it, an eight-game losing streak at the end of that year. So it's but it's hey, it comes with the ebbs and flows. So yeah, it's it's been a solid run. Yeah, I'm very. I mean, uh, let's preface this with they played a beat up 
Iowa Wild team who's just been decimated by the Minnesota Wilds injuries. I think they had seven or eight call-ups from the Iowa Heartlanders. We're basically playing an ECHL team. But as their coach said, no excuse. It's the American Hockey League. It happens to everybody. They got to find a way to win, and they did not. I think the highlight of it all for us is the performance of, one, Sebastian Kosa versus Jesper Wallstead, which everyone's, of course, watching that. But then the performance of Wallstead in general this weekend. Uh, he did not have a good weekend. No, gave up what eight goals and Costa only gave up one. So here we are. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that, the big thing about that for Wallstead too is because he just got called up today too by the Minnesota Wild as we're just about a couple hours ago as we're recording this podcast. So I mean, and Zane McIntyre will come back down, which we should all be happy that Zane McIntyre was up with the Minnesota Wild while this was going on because I don't know if many fans remember last year Zane McIntyre had the Griffins number and it was getting to be sickening. Every single game, whenever we played the Wild, McIntyre was going to make three or four big saves, and we'd outshoot the Wild, and we'd lose four to two or something like that. So, I mean, it's a nice change of pace for how things went last year. But then again, a lot of things this year have been better changes from last season. I agree, and you know, like Nick said, there are eight goals against Wallstead. That's a that's a feat we were struggling with even last season as a team. No matter what team was in front of them, we struggled with that as a whole. So this younger core mixed with some veterans heating up suddenly getting pucks past this kid uh, was a definite positive. And I think the one to talk about the most would be good old Joel Esperance heating up five goals in five games and 11 in his last 18 after not scoring in his first 11. Oh my, that's fantastic stuff. You know, Nick knows I'm a big last guy, big last guy. <laughs> I was a little nervous when he got that puck to his throat though on uh, Saturday night, and I was uh, nervous that he wasn't going to be coming back because he has been playing so well since I called him out on the podcast a couple weeks back that I had a stick and he may need it back. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's heating up. I think that line that he's with too has been. I mean, it's it's clicking. It's getting that chemistry, and it's it's working for him. Yeah, and the thing about Les Bronze too is he had such a slow start this season, and and I've. I've been always been critical of Les Perrance, even back when he was in Texas, because he's a very James Van Riemsdyk kind of player, where for the most part, if you look, I'd say maybe 75% of his goals last year came in the quote-unquote dangerous scoring area, about you know five feet from the crease and whatnot. But that goal on Saturday, that power play goal where he actually got to let one rip, I was thoroughly impressed because we don't really get to see his shot that much because he's around the top of the crease, like a Tomas Holmstrom and whatnot if we're going to go with a Red Wings comparison here. So, yeah, five goals in five games for him. You can see that he's confident. And, you know, we were when I talked to him uh, last week when they took on the Cleveland Monsters on New Year's Eve, I remember I asked him, you know, kind of being on the uh, the old guy line a little bit with, uh, with Dominic Shine and Zach Aston-Reese, which was unfortunately broken up when Aston-Reese got called up. But, you know, he's just he's found this bit of confidence. And, and a guy like him, who is so key and where his success relies on results, on stats, not necessarily pace of play or style of play. If he doesn't score, he doesn't have that kind of jump in his steps. So seeing him get this thing going right now and how it's correlated not just to his success, because obviously he's been a great scorer even last year when the Griffins in overall were not that good. He was still producing. Seeing the correlation between him putting the puck in the back of the net and the team getting two points just about every other night it's obviously a good combination to have. Yeah, I mean, the balance of veterans clicking finally and the young kids clicking, like, you know, I'll jump into the next guy I want to talk about, Carter Mazur. I mean, the kid is, he came back from the injury slow, and we were all kind of wondering what was going to happen as things went on here. But, 
mean, six goals, seven points in the last eight games. That's, that's some good stuff. That's exactly what this team needed when you're talking about, you know, going through stretches without guys like Austin Zarnick, Bear Grin, um, and even Edmondson. You know, you go through those stretches like that. You need a guy like Mazur to step up. And boy, is he clicking now. Well, that line is, I hate that you said that because that line is clicking like crazy. It's the Mazer, it's Berger, and it's Sarnik. That line, they've stuck with it the last two games, and it's been producing, especially with Albert Johansson on the back end there. Uh, he got another an assist the other night too, so um, with that line. But they're fast. They're, they were buzzing the last two games against Iowa, which I know like it's the ECHL team, but this is exactly what they needed to, you know, to gel, to get that chemistry, to get the familiarity, like it all connects and it's, it's clicking. Uh, that second game Saturday, I mean, it it was a little bit. I feel like they were able to key it on them and they did slow down a little bit. But I mean, it's it's going to happen when you play the same team back to back nights. Yeah, you, you mentioned the Johansson uh, set up for that goal for Carter Major. That was a really slick play because. Boy, I mean, last year, Albert just seemed like a fish out of water so much of the year because it was first year in North America. It just seemed like he was not comfortable with the speed of the game, the, the American pro game, the North American pro game. And so over the last few weeks, you know, I mean, that's why we we had to re- we kind of highlighted him, you know, when we and I in my piece for M Live talking about how Johansson played in that game against Cleveland. And we interviewed him because. You know, it, it, it's so funny because I was talking with Elaine Shercliffe. She was at the game there, uh, one of our one of our good friends. And and I when we when Albert scored that second goal, I looked over to Randy Claves, the PR director. I said, well, we're gonna have to talk to Albert now after the game. And Elaine's like, how is Albert? I'm like, I know he's Swedish. And I'm like, well, when I interviewed him last year, his English was kind of choppy. He was very shy. And I almost correlate with how he talks with us in the media and how he's played. It's gotten so much better better and so much cleaner and I, I know it sounds kind of dumb and you know kind of a weird facade but he just seems like he's getting more confidence this year and whether that be because he's playing more in front of you know Dan Watson and whatnot but he's just finding this great bit of confidence lately and the fact that he's helping produce offensively and still being solid in his defensive zone for the most part I really think this is going to be beneficial for him because you know, the Red Wings do see him to kind of be the guy that's going to kind of go up alongside Simon Edmondson. Obviously, Edmondson's got a little bit of the lead in this case, but they expect Johansson, Johansson to be in the conversation to eventually make his way up to the club. Maybe not this year, but in the near future. I, I think it's also helping, too, that they've split Simon and Johansson up. Uh, he's been paired with Rafferty the last two games, and Rafferty's more of the offensive set-it-up guy. And I think Johans has been able to show a little bit more of that play too, uh, to give him, you know, Rafferty's giving him a little bit more rope on the defensive end too, to, to pinch up if he needed to. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we got to remember it's, it's not going to be much longer until Simon Edmondson's no longer in a, on a, in a Griffin's uniform. So Albert knows like, okay, I'm next up to take that leadership role in the defensive core here. I'm going to be that guy that they're going to be eyeing next. So everything's just really coming together for him and falling into place. Yes. It's going to take a little longer than Simon Edmondson, of course, but at the same time, I'm just really impressed with this play this year. You know, those two goals against Cleveland and then get that, like you said, Tyler, that assist, that was just such a beautiful setup by him. Carter Mazur didn't have to do anything to score that goal. He just had to tap it in. A lot of the goals that there was going against uh, Jasper that weekend was everything was backdoor. Everything was the, everybody was sneaking behind uh, tip ins and stick on the ice, being able to get it right there. Uh, that's how, like, 
I would say 70, 80% of those goals were besides Lesby's shot from the uh, point and Tuo's shot. I mean, everything else literally came in from behind Jasper. So I don't know if that's like a, a scouting report or something that's been known, but it, it was weird to see that on a lot of those goals. Yeah, I think a lot of that kind of had to do with the fact that I, you know, you mentioned a lot of the guys coming up from the Heartlanders for Iowa. I just don't think a lot of them were ready for the American League speed because, I mean, I know that we've seen guys come up from the ECHL and produce right away, but there is a definitive difference in the pace of play. I mean, obviously, you have a few older guys, a few more maybe seasoned veterans down on the coast. So I think, you know, that might have had a little bit to do with it. But, you know, yeah, to your point, they were really buzzing and finding opportunities in the high slot in dangerous scoring areas around the crease, which was something that really the Griffin struggled with getting it going last year. And I kind of want to tail it back to, to Mazer here because, you know, you mentioned how slow Mazer was to begin this season when he came back from injury. And I was there the time, you know, he scored two goals in the game against Chicago, you know, cookie, you and I were there for the, the school day game. And I went down in the tunnel after the game and, you know, we were, he was walking by. I'm like, Hey Carter, good game, man. Nice way to get a couple goals. And, in so many words, he said, yeah, it's about time, like in a couple other expletives, but he, <laughs> he was so relieved. And I think since then, and it kind of goes back to how Les Brown says, you get those first couple, you get that bit of confidence and his play has really jumped. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to see this kid since he played at Denver and he's always been a competent player when he's playing with top guys and when he's producing, because when he gets hot, he's a very difficult character to stop. And another guy that you know, once Bergen gets called up and once maybe a few more guys up in Detroit move on, I, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to be contending for a spot up at the wings. Yeah. And I think that what I like most about him too, is like, he's very transparent with how he's come back in his interviews and everything. You know, he says the physical side, it's not been a challenge for him, but it's the mental side that he's really had to focus on it. A player being that transparent about those struggles is just something I really like. And it just shows the good character that he has. And he, like you said, he's going to be that guy contending. And I hope that he finds his spot one day because he's going to be a guy that pisses off a lot of NHL players one day. Holy smokes. I, he's got a lot of Brad Marchand in him. And I know Wings fans <laughs> and Griffins fans are going to hate to hear me say that. But boy, like you talk about skill and just the little little poke with the stick at the end of it, little butt in there in the scrum, little, I won't say face wash because he knows he, I, I don't know if Carter can hold his own in a fight. I love the kid, but I've walked by him and I'm in a suit and he's on skates. And, you know, we're, there's there's a size comparison that's pretty similar. It's a very he's got a lot of growing to do, but, you know, he's that kind of player that, you know, he's going to score a goal, but he's going to look at you and smile while he's doing it. Yeah, it's good. he's going to be fun. And, you know, another guy that really, you know, stood out again this weekend for me, we've continued to talk about him since his reassignment to Grand Rapids, but Ati Tuamisto. It's he's de quickly developing into someone who I think is going to be a very, very, very good player, whether it's in this organization or not down the road, who knows, you know, he's low on the totem pole and prospects, but I think he's jumping that ladder pretty quickly, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think you'd put him higher than Johansson at the moment? No, Ugh. I don't put him higher than Johansson <laughs> at the moment. I would put him behind, right behind him. Honestly, I think he's skipped Volander. Wallander or Wallander? No. Um, so uh, here's the thing about Tuomiso as well, because once again, I got a chance to see him when he's playing for the Pioneers, and that was at a time at the college level where he seemed head and shoulders above everyone else, and he was ready to be a guy that was going to quickly make his way to the NHL. And then we just noticed that he wasn't playing. Like, he was getting the Emil Vero kind of treatment where he just was not getting the ice time. And I'm like, what is it about the Griffins and having problems with Finnish defensemen? But 
you know, he, he maybe it just seemed like Watson didn't feel like he was ready to make the jump, which, you know, I, if anyone is going to have any verbiage and possibility of determining when a defenseman is ready to play at this level, I'm going to go with Dan Watson because this guy, he was a defenseman. He has the experience. He played the pro game for many years and he knows how important maybe some time in the ECHL would do. So he used to goes down there, gets an opportunity to come up with obviously some guys in the Griffins coming out of the lineup and whatnot. And he's performed well, once again, getting confidence and just, I know it sounds dumb and people think you're going down to Toledo because we have seen guys get buried down there before. It's not, wouldn't be the first guy to see it happen, but some players get that opportunity, get the quality ice time. And then when they come back up to Grand Rapids, they have a little bit more jump in their step and they feel more comfortable with the pro game and the speed that they're ready to go and they can pr- and make plays and obviously be capable everyday guys. And that's why I think to Amisto, maybe sitting the first few weeks of the season wasn't the worst thing because it kind of showed him, hey, you got to work harder to play at this level. You can't, you're not going to be a top four guy right off the hop just because the Red Wings have high aspirations for you. And yeah, I believe he's moving his way up in the, and the chart of, you know, guys that are, I mean, he, once again, he's not going to be a guy that's going to call up this year, I would say. But if he keeps producing at this rate and keeps progressing as the season goes along, he'll be right there. Now, my fear is with Tumiusto is that he does get better, but no spots open up. And then we have a Jared McIsaac problem. That is my fear with Tumiusto because it seems like he can play at this level and make plays and get the numbers and have the good minutes and play the big minutes. But if he doesn't get those opportunities, then we're going to have a guy stuck in the American hockey league, which we've seen not McIsaac's just the most recent example. Their laundry list of Griffins over the years have shown that they have NHL capabilities, but they just are playing at the wrong time. And, you know, when you have guys like Lidstrom and Erickson and Lidstrom up there, you know, you're not going to get the opportunity to get a call up. So, and Cronwall being another. So it's just, that's why I think it's going to be hard for him. He's got to keep putting up numbers because he needs to show Iserman and Horikoff that, Hey, I can be ready now. Cause that's, that's going to be the biggest thing for him going forward. Cause I mean, it's, it's so hard. You see so many guys over the years that are talented that, Hey, they can play in the NHL, but they're on the wrong team, the wrong with the wrong organization to get that call up. And like so, Jake Waldman. I mean, Oh, Jake, oh my gosh, it like, took him so long. And and because he was always a capable defenseman, as we see now. And now he gets an opportunity, flourishes with it. So yeah, that's a good point there, Nick. Well, that um, well that brings up a good point though, too, is like what is going on with Vero? Like he hasn't played, McIsaac hasn't played either. Like, do you foresee these? And I mean, you brought up the finish point, like finished defenseman. Now Vero's been buried because Tuo's been up and he's been playing well. Like, every time he gets the puck, he's letting it rip. Like, that's the one thing that I love about Tuo. He's not afraid to shoot it. So, like, I, th- I feel the last few games, like, this set of defensemen have been the, the set that they've been running with. And so, like, Vero and McIsaac, they're now buried. Like, what do you foresee? Like, we would hope Vero would probably get a chance in Toledo. But that, like, because he was there last year for a little bit of the time and with the right. playoffs. So, like, what, what do you foresee with those two guys? A trade or... See, that's why, unfortunately, neither of them have a whole lot. I mean, it would have to be an AHL trade because neither of them have really have a whole lot of stock right now to be traded and put in any deal. Because because Vero, I mean, he came in, he was a late, late draft pick. And, yep. you know, I remember I talked with um, 
Rachel Anderson about him uh, years ago. Yeah, I mean, we were like, oh, you know, like he's got an upside. He's, you know, solid in his own zone. But once again, he was playing in Liga. He was playing in the Finnish game. You know, even though Finland rinks are typically more NHL centric size compared to most international European rinks. But we were like, well, you know, he'll take some time to progress. And when he wasn't getting in the lineup as much as he was, even though he was healthy, when he was healthy, scratched so much last year. You kind of thought, all right, maybe they are going to send him down in Toledo, but they kept him up because the Griffins were getting injuries and the Red Wings were getting injuries. So Griffins were getting called up and that's when he got in. But then they came back down and they just scratched him again. And with and so that's why it kind of stinks that maybe he's kind of his development has diminished because he's not been able to play as much. And then it comes to McIsaac. I think it's a mixture of they brought in guys like Rafferty and Didier to kind of help out maybe solidify the back end. You have the veteran rule. And when guys like Zarnik are producing and Lesperance are producing, it's hard to add veterans in that have not been doing much this season because we're, I mean, that was the big message going into this year with bringing up Dan Watson. And what we heard all summer was we want to have a team that can develop players for the Red Wings, but also be a winning team. And especially with a guy like McIsaac, a guy that unfortunately just, I don't think he's in the cards to make it the NHL, at least with the Red Wings. And with Vero, they see a guy that's not developing the way they hoped. But it's it's a it's a point where you have to make a decision on on whether or not you want to focus develop what felt focus coaching, focus time and resources to get a player better if you don't think there's a possibility that he can be a vital asset to the franchise, to the NHL franchise in the near future because that's what the red wings are trying to do because they want to have a team in the next few years that's mixed with veteran talent and young prospects that can make these pushes to the playoffs that's why bergeron and edmondson they're not really going up there to detroit to play small minutes they want them to play big minutes when they go up there and that's why they send them back down so they can play first line minutes down here with grand rapids despite bergeron and edmondson probably not wanting to be down here it's a story for a different time but that's why i believe that McIsaac isn't getting a whole lot of ice time. Vero's not seeing a whole lot. I, I'll I'll check in with this week with, with Randy because I'm going to probably go to one of the practices and just kind of see where Vero's at if he is there because, yeah, there's been no real word on him, unfortunately, because, like I said, I had high hopes from when he came in, but it just seemed like he was never comfortable when he played last year. And, and you know, Simon was very, very critical of the players. If they weren't stepping up, they had to earn their way into the lineup, and unfortunately he didn't. So, you know, you think Watson would give him more of a chance, but we haven't seen that yet. It could be related to injury. It could not be. But, yeah, it's it's been a tough, tough few years uh, in, when he came over to North America for Vero. Yeah, I know he was banged up a little bit before the Christmas break, but no, no more has been said about that since. Obviously, these teams don't share any injury details no matter what. But, I mean, I know well, for I, I will, Toledo. I, I will say this. Having mentioned the ECHL, I covered – uh, the K wings for a year for, for the league a couple of years back. And there were players that did not want, when I would tell stories about them, like, Hey, this, this guy came back from this injury. And my editor's like, Hey, what kind of injury was it? The players would not want to tell you because if that got out, cause then the players would focus like other teams would focus on it. So there, I can see where there's a gray. I hate the, I hate the lack of transparency with a lot of this stuff as I'm sure a lot of people are. And it's, and that happens in the NHL as well. When we ever hear lower body or, or, you know, geez, Timo Meyer has a medium body injury, whatever the heck that means. But like, that's, you <laughs> hate it, rare. but that's kind of how it is, unfortunately. And, and even if they wanted to give you the information, they probably wouldn't tell you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for for our Toledo listeners, they would love to see a Vero get sent down there. But you know, if he does decide to move on somewhere else or whatever, that that's his that's his deal. But I would like to see him getting minutes at least, and I think he would be a good fit down there. And they need defensemen bad right now. So, but before we get too deep into Toledo, that's an easy team to get you know, deep in with right now because they're doing so darn well. But overall, final thoughts on the weekend. I want to start with you, Nick. My weekend was great. At uh, your weekend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we said five game win streak. We needed to have these two wins. Uh, it was big. I think the Coastal only played one game, played well. Uh, Hutch played that second game Saturday. He was shaky, I thought. Uh, I, I mean, I had texted you that as well, uh, Brandon. And so the they played fast. They played hard. That first, there was a lot of compete. That first, uh, that first game, they were buzzing. I mean, I think I don't know the shots, but I mean, Grand Rapids led that side of it um, and put that pressure on right away. Second game, they played a little bit more flat. They let you know uh, Iowa come at them a little bit more. Uh, my fear was that both games were going to be low scoring games. I mean, I thought it was going to be like two one, three one, three two kind of games, and uh, like Wallset was going to stand on his head and steal a game or two or keep it close. And that didn't go that way at all, um, which was kind of surprising, but not so surprising based off the amount of injuries that they had. So um, I want to see, I can't re- I don't have the schedule in front of me right now, but no game Wednesday, right? Yes. No, they, they play Wednesday against Milwaukee at home. So that, I mean, that I think that's going to be a big game for us. If this team continues um, clicking, I mean, our power play did well this weekend and our penalty kill did very well both nights so those are two things that we were kind of like we need a little bit of help here and they didn't they didn't take much time scoring on the power play um on their chances that they had and the penalty kill looked really good on that end as well is we had a lot of shorthanded shots and attempts on on the penalty kill so that looked way cleaner way better um want to see it continue uh, over this week as well so you said milwaukee and then Friday, Saturdays, is it Rockford? Yep. yep. Rockford. So um, I mean, these are these are central division cha- like people. We need to teams, we need to continue this momentum and keep it moving forward. I mean, if we get two out of the three, that would be fantastic. If we get all three, that that'd be even better. But <laughs> yeah, all three would be wild. And you know, it, like you said, it's important, especially against Milwaukee. You know, that's gonna be the true measure of where we're at right now with them being right in front of us in the division. You know, we're at, they're at 39 points, we're at 32. And Askarov's been on a heater. He's back-to-back shutouts right now. Yeah, no, all good points. Tyler, final thoughts on the Griffins weekend for you. Yeah, no, I I really, I really was impressed because it, to, to Nick's point, you know, this was an opportunity for them to get some more headway in the Central Division because the way things were, you know, it, two months ago, November, I was really wondering, I'm like, man, are, is this going to be last year all over again? You know, all this potential and not able to put wins together. And here we are, New Year, January 7th, and they're third place in the Central Division. I don't think we could ask for anything better right now. And yeah, that game Wednesday, even if it's not Askarov, I think, I mean, Milwaukee is such a good team. And, you know, Nashville's been getting banged up a little bit. But I look at this week, yeah, two out of three is great. And I, I'm going to knock on this wooden desk I have right in front of me. I'm going to say it's expected because you're going to go up against a Rockford team 
that is getting a lot of guys called up to Chicago. Obviously, some yeah. guy up in the Blackhawks got injured recently. Some kid named Bedard, Bedard, whatever the heck his name is. But yeah, like they and Alex Vlasic's up there and I know there's a lot of good players and Cole Gutman's up there as well. Guys that typically would not be in the NHL had it not been for some injuries. So even though Cole Gutman's a fantastic player, another DU prospect, but I, I really think this is an opportunity for the Griffins to make, to gain some more ground in the central. I'm not going to go as far as say, Oh, they have a chance to challenge for first place in the division. That's way too early to talk about that. But you look at who they play after this week. They have two games against Manitoba, the last place team in the division. Now really slumping. This is right now, these two weeks and including, if we want to include last week, these three weeks, are so important for Grand Rapids to get points, get wins, and get up there to where they can be solidified playoff contenders. And the way they perform this weekend, ECHL call-ups or not, in a, when, a, when when the puck drops, it doesn't matter. I mean, shoot, the Blackhawks have beaten the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. That, I mean, hockey's weird that way. It can happen. I mean, the, the Sharks, the San Jose Sharks, who were at one point going to be historically the worst team in the history of our sport, beat the Detroit Red Wings. This game is weird that way that if the Griffins didn't step up to the occasion, they could have easily lost one of these games. If not yeah. both, like you said, if Wallstep plays well, they lose two, nothing two one. That's how the hockey, that's where the puck bounces. So if they can keep up this confidence into this nice three game week at home at Van Andel arena, I believe this, you know, this team can really make their way up there and they just need to continue to play hard. And Dan Watson's got them doing exactly what they need to do at this time of the season with just a couple months left, hopefully, knock on wood, into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you, one, for reminding us about that Sharks game. I appreciate that. I forgot yeah. to mention to everyone that you're a Leafs fan, not a Red Wings fan. Hey, uh, we got we'll edit that out. By, the Leafs got swept <laughs> by Arizona last year. Carol Vamelka stole the show twice against the Leafs last year. So I'm not going to – I can't speak anything fair. about bad teams beating good teams. No, exactly. But, yeah, no, all your guys' points are spot on. It was just a fantastic weekend for the Griffins overall. The other thing that we we both forgot too on this is that all three of those games were on the road. Yeah, all yeah. four. Yeah, all, for a sorry, team that four of those last five were on the road. Yeah, for a team that only had won like two road games going into that stretch, it was a a welcome sight. New year, and, new uh, Griffins. New year, new Griffins for sure. And you know, we didn't even touch on the point. We'll touch on it after the ad break. You know, we talked special teams, Nick, in the last episode. Uh, and special teams were almost flawless this weekend for the Griffins. Eight for eight on the penalty kill, I think it was. Yeah. Eight for eight on the PK, which they had games where they had been scored on for three out of three. So, you know, it, it was just all around improvements. Like Tyler said, Dan's got them going the direction they need to go. You can see the buy in, you can see the team clicking and coming together. I mean, we talked about so many players already. We didn't even talk about the fact that Marco Casper and Amadeus Lombardi had assists in both games. But, you know, looking at the bottom of the score sheet, those are the two names that are always at the bottom because the numbers they have and two of the better games that they've played recently and seeing their offensive uh, stats starting to show up again. So I'm super pumped with how everything went. I'm super excited to get back to a game on Wednesday. I haven't feel like I haven't been in Van Andel in so long. And it's going to be a fun week of hockey against teams that this team easily, not easily, but easily should beat. And or at least be competitive with, yeah. Exactly. And I think this is the turning point of the season that we had looked for and hoped for leading up to uh, the New Year break or the Christmas break, and we're, we're seeing it now. So hopefully everything we had spoken to earlier this season about being better after that break uh, just comes to fruition and we're, we're on a roll here. 
but we got to send it over to DraftKings because we have obligations there. So we'll send it to them. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with the code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Only problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age based by jurisdiction, Word in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. Uh, anyways. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we hinted at it. Let's talk special teams real quick before we, we jump into the last topic. Special teams was key for Grand Rapids to be good at this weekend to come out with two wins. And like we said, eight for eight on the penalty kill was something I didn't think was possible with this team, the way they played the penalty kill for the last three to four games. So what do you guys, Nick, we'll go to you first. What do you think was the biggest change in the PK that you saw? Well, I watched it more intently this time. That's good. (laughs) Because (laughs) the last time you asked me on the last episode, I had no clue. So I was able to watch them a lot more. They, Iowa does a great job of production, first of all, Um, going through game, like interviews throughout the the game. Their biggest thing on the power play is that they like the cross-ice passes and Grand Rapids was taking that away. They were really, one thing that I noticed is that they were kind of sitting back more and letting that first, whoever had the puck to be able to shoot. Um, they said that they were playing bo- they were playing diving, but I saw more of the box like what you had said, Brandon, um, when we had discussed it last time. I don't know. It, a lot of it was just try- getting that turnover, forechecking, and then bringing it back to, you know, killing that time, keeping the possession as well, and creating opportunities. I mean, there was like two or three times that I saw like breakaways or shots going on, and then they were still like trying to keep it down in the other end as – in killing time so i mean that's a lot of the stuff that i was able to take away from the penalty kill um they weren't letting them get set up either a lot of in that second game so that's what i saw yeah it's it's such a big change because we've seen it where just whether because it's always like a different cast of characters are trying to throw in the penalty kill or not having enough time to work on special teams because you know people like to think oh you know they had time off between you know Saturday and Friday to work on power play and penalty kill and special teams. Of course they do, but guys get called up, guys get sent down and all of a sudden you're trying to find a new person to step in. And you know, whether that be a guy, a rookie or a ECHL call up, they might not know how they want them to run the penalty kill. Like every, every player that comes that plays professional hockey has played a stock base version of a power play of a penalty kill, the modern umbrella on the power play and a, a, a mobile box slash diamond on a penalty kill. But sometimes certain coaches have a different way they want it to be performed, whether it be a defenseman pinching up towards the point, whether it be the forward staying down low, what have you. 
it can be a little bit different and can be confusing, which could lead to players getting crossed up, opportunities galore on the penalty kill. And I think the fact that there's a little bit more consistency on the personnel, you know, you guys can quote me if I'm wrong here on this, but I think the fact that there is that coming along, that's the reason why the penalty kill is getting better because we're not having to change. The Griffins are not having to change out so many different pieces all the time. And I think just the work ethic is a little bit better as well compared to what we saw early in the year, because when you go out, I mean, you know, Cookie mentioned there were some times that, you know, teams went perfect against us on, on the Griffins on the power play. And when that happens, you get up, you go down a player, all of a sudden you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, Shiner, Spiza, go out there, try to do what you got to do. And, you know, they get, all right, we're going to try this again. And the same thing happens. It's almost, you know, Murphy's Law. What the worst could happen could possibly happen. But when you have, we go back to the word confidence. You go out there and you feel like you can kill it off no matter who's on the who's on the other end, whether it's the greatest offensive team in the world or keep mentioning, I know Iowa here with the Iowa Heartlanders pretty much getting called up here. You have that ability to know that you're going to make the plays to not allow them to get greatest scoring chances. And with that, too, I think Michael Hutchinson, especially on Saturday, had to make a couple big saves on the penalty kill as well. And, you know, you always go with the the, the old adage that goaltenders got to be your best penalty killers. And Kosa and Hutchinson were certainly that this weekend as well. And Simon yeah, made a big I, save too on the power play, wasn't it? <laughs> Simon blocking a shot. That's a good, yeah. good to see. They pulled that one right off the goal line there. That was a oh, that was a heart attack moment for me. But yeah, oh, I agree with everything you guys said there. And I think one thing that helps out too with the way we look at the way the, these teams are structured now is when you have all these call-ups and you do have those situations where you're going to slot another guy in, at least the coaching staff is on the same page when it comes to their systems from top to bottom, all the way from the ECHL to the NHL. These coaches run pretty much the same system, and they all communicate really well. Not that Ben Simon didn't communicate within the organization really well, but he did have a way of doing things his way too at the same time, and I think it was pretty noticeable in the last year. And being able to go in, we didn't even mention that we stole those victories from, you know, a team that Ben Simon is now the assistant coach of, which felt even better. But the, the same system thing, I think it definitely helps out. And you can see the imprint of, you know, what we saw in Toledo last year uh, when we went to those games. We saw the same type of penalty kill, the same type of power play from that team. And the, the Toledo power play is an absolutely, it's an absolute unit, especially when they're playing at home. So I think those things all help, and it's really good to see that, that we were able to pivot quickly. We did have a four or five game stretch there where it was ugly, but they corrected it pretty quickly, and hopefully they can get out of being the bottom of the league now in the PK. That, that's what's key. And I think this weekend is the step in the right direction for that. They're currently to 28th now. Moving up already. Yeah. Not last. Not last. Yeah, I'll like take last it. Episode. Oh, that was so ugly to see. They, they of course, were – they didn't hesitate to mention that on the broadcast this weekend. Shout out to the Iowa broadcaster. I feel I feel like they did a great job both games having to obviously broadcast Griffins on the Griffins broadcast and theirs. Uh, being balanced, being fair, not the most exciting broadcaster on the in the world, but at the same time, I did enjoy the broadcast. I think they did a good job with it. Friday night was a lot better than Saturday night. Well, I think I mean it, it's been a tough stretch, um, and it's it's kind. I mean it's. It's always tough because I know the Griffins have done that a lot. Whenever, um, whenever Bob Kayser's up with the Red Wings are out and stuff like that, they send they take the other teams, uh, broadcasters and broadcast, and it it can be tough to try to be balanced. Because, and I remember, um, uh, oh gosh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think his name is Ben, 
And he, um, like I've, I've talked to other broadcasters. It can be tough. And he even mentioned on the broadcast, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be unbiased as possible, but I do have to mention that I get paid by one of these teams. Like, you know, a little bit of honesty yep. there with that and stuff like that. But it's, it, it can be, I, th- I think he did a good job. Obviously, you know, when the Griffin scored, he was very monotone about it, but that's because he is the Iowa wild broadcaster. How, I mean, Imagine if you're an Iowa Wild fan listening to him all year long, all of a sudden, then the Griffins score. Like, yeah. Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right, too, because he, uh, there was a penalty on the Griffins, and uh, he's like, oh, Dan Watson seems upset about this. I'll try to be unbiased. He goes, yeah, the shoe's on the other foot. I'm uh, I'm upset with that call. You're right. <laughs> and just carried on. <laughs> so, I mean, I appreciate it. He, they, what I've appreciated most this season, because Bob's been called up to Detroit quite a bit. You know, Ken Cal had a little bit of a health scare there, then he had COVID. Uh, it, I've appreciated that these guys have done their investigative work on this team and they know at least what they're talking about, especially with how many players like the Iowa guys mentioned. There's players they've never seen before, some never even heard of, you know, with how many young guys and new guys are on this team. So just a quick little, quick little shout out there. Well, I but, mean, I, having gotten to know, I mean, being a broadcaster myself, but also getting to know a lot of the American League broadcasters around the league and whatnot. And, you know, and we're talking about Milwaukee coming up, Aaron Sims, him and I have become... Uh, pretty good colleagues over the last couple seasons, but they do their hard work. They do their due diligence. Obviously they focus on their team, but you know, their job is to also inform, you know, their listeners, their viewers from their fan base of who they're playing. And, you know, Hey, Carter Mazur, this was a, you know, a top second round draft pick of the Red Wings. And he is a former Denver pioneer, whatever, any Wisconsin connections, obviously like they do their, they do a lot of hard work to make sure their broadcasts are good. At least the good ones. I should say that the good ones will, make sure they're well-informed on both teams. So I, I will give them the shout out for sure. Sure. Um, all right. So now a topic I can't wait to get into because Tyler uh, is the only one on this podcast right now that is uh, played hockey. And uh, well, <laughs> I, I haven't put the pads on in a while. They're getting some dust down in the basement, but sure. Yeah. I play regularly, I guess. You played the game further than any of us, which is barely being able to, oh, I can't skate for anything. And Nick, you've said the same thing for yourself. We could probably figure it out pretty quick, but we ain't good. I played NHL 24. There you go. There you go. <laughs> my That's BMO why, got you know, 150 points my rookie yeah. season. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you're discrediting me for there, Brandon. Nick's oh. got good, Nick's, we never said Nick could play hockey, but he's got good hockey sense. How about that? <laughs> oh, there we go. He knows how to go across. He knows how to go across the top of the slot and shoot against the grain. There you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, until I play Brandon, then he just smokes me on there. <laughs> and I've smoked a while, so I wouldn't. I would not be fun if you and I played Nick. No. I haven't laced up the controller in a while, guys. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Tyler played goalie for a little bit here, and uh, we want to talk goalies because with the uh, World Juniors wrapping up and USA winning gold and Canada not even making it to the finals. Uh, had to get that in there. But Trey Augustine's performance was absolutely stellar, and it's really heated up the conversation around, you know, the goalie depth chart with this Red Wings organization. So, Tyler, put you on the spot, buddy. Yeah. How do you feel right now? Kosa and Augustine, how do you feel for this organization? Where do you where do you see the highs and lows of both of these goaltenders, and what do you think are, are either of these actually the future of the Detroit Red Wings? Well, so Kosa, I was very very fond of because I, I follow the Western League quite a bit and and I I this is not me trying to toot my own horn here when I mean I played goal when cookie means that I played through college and I played very low level professional hockey like nowhere near the Griffins but I did get technically paid to play for a little bit 
that said, I, I was very fond of Sebastian Costa. He's playing with the Edmonton Oil Kings when uh, the COVID year when he went, was it 17, one and two or something like that? And ridiculous numbers. And it was, albeit a very good team in, in Edmonton. And sometimes, especially in junior hockey, I mean, shoot Zach Bucali. I mean, he was a big proponent of this, played on really good teams, had really good numbers. With with Kosa, I think for him, he he can get in his head a little bit too much, and he's very young. I sh- we should preface this, and this is only his second year of professional hockey, even though people will argue to this day that, hey, the CHL is professional, technically, but that's a long story and a different podcast to talk about that. But uh, for him, it's he's been getting better at adjusting to the speed of the pro game, which was a struggle for him his first year. That's why he went down to the ECHL right away or pretty quickly and never really got a chance to come back up. Granted, you know, the Griffins had three goaltenders for a good chunk of the season last year, but I think he has the ability to keep progressing. If the Griffins give him time or the Red Wings give him time as well, because I keep, I, I know I people hate when I keep doing this, but it Philip Larson, that was the he was going to be the next wave of goaltenders for the Red Wings. He was going to be the next Peter Morazic, and he's going to come up through the ranks and take over when Howard went down and all this stuff and blah blah blah. And he's not here anymore. Like it, there's a reason because of that. And I don't know if it's because of the pressure or just he was never able to adjust to it. But you know, I think with Kosa, if you just be patient with him, if you give him time, and having a guy like Hutchinson involved is very important because Hutchinson's been up and down through the ranks. He knows what it takes to play in the NHL, but he also cherishes the ability to be playing pro hockey and he can help bring Kosa along like that. Even though that was kind of the plan when they had Calvin Pickard with Larson, but once again, it didn't work out. Augustine freshman at Michigan state, great numbers, great team there in East Lansing performed pretty well with a really good American team in the world junior championships. You know, it's, there's so much time though, between now where he is right now to when he becomes a pro hockey goaltender. That is my biggest thing because don't mean to reference another Michigan state goaltender here, but boy, did at one point, Jeff Lurk look like he was going to be the cats me out five foot six or not. If he doesn't tear his ACLs, both of them at, in the senior season at Michigan state, I think he would have had an honest chance to be an American league goaltender because he was with the New Jersey devils right towards the end of the time of Marty Brodeur. So that would have may have led to an opportunity for him to maybe squeak in as a backup for him, because I think he, as small as he was, I think he was good enough to play in the American league. That obviously didn't happen. He eventually obviously made a great career at the Toledo walleye, but there was an opportunity there because he was such a good goalie in college, won a national championship, CCHA goalie of the year, all these accolades. He was fantastic, but injuries hurt him. If Augustine can stay healthy and continue to play well and be the top guy at Michigan state, and turn that when he becomes pro, I like that upside for him. Once again, though, for Augustine, it's going to be let's not get ahead of ourselves because so much can go wrong in this game because we've seen it in the past with other goaltenders as well. So, And especially with college goaltenders too, and I'm going to reference a couple of Griffin's goaltenders here. Adam Burkle won a national championship at Denver. Horrible pro goaltender. Jordan Pierce, great goaltender at Notre Dame. Horrible goaltender of the Griffins. Thomas McCollum. I know he's the all-time winningest goaltender in Griffin's history, but that's what happens when you're with a team for six years or seven or however long it was. He was a great goaltender in the OHL, was a world junior goaltender for the Americans. Now, do not, fans, do not start commenting and say Trey Augustine and Thomas McCullough are on the same page. There's a lot of time for Augustine to better that, but I, 
it's hard with goaltenders that are at that stage of their career to be junior or college and say they're going to be great because I've seen many goaltenders that play well in the college ranks and flounder out with goaltenders. You have to be patient and understanding because I, I can tell you guys in the history in the American hockey league history of the Grand Rapids Griffins. I'm not going to go back to the IHL because unfortunately it was a different game. Goaltenders were different then, but in the American hockey league history of the Grand Rapids Griffins, I can tell you three goaltenders that have, come up through the ranks with the Griffins and made the NHL. Joey McDonald, Jimmy Howard, and Peter Morazic. We've been in the American Hockey League since 2001, kids. But it's so hard to say, to be like, oh, Kosa's going to be an NHL goaltender and Augustine can be an NHL goaltender because their skills provide that. They can be NHL goaltenders. Will they develop into those? That's always the tough part with goaltenders in the minors, in college, juniors, whatever, because... There's always the projection, but what happens on the ice can always be a different story. Do you think so? You're you're saying that we got to give it time for Trey Augustine, right? So are yeah. are we giving this like the end of the season so he can be in Griffins next year? Do you see four years and then he's in Toledo and then Griffin? Like I'm being funny about <laughs> at the end of the season we see him with the Griffins, but like he's got he's got to go through the full four years with MSU. Is that correct or am I off? No, he doesn't have to. He could come up after this year. I, I mean, tech, theoretically, anyone that's drafted at the age of 18 can come up. Uh, if, if the, As long as it's not through the junior ranks, the CHL ranks, because there is a there's a deal between this Canadian Hockey League and the National Hockey League that, I mean, that was the big deal yeah. with Shane Wright with Seattle was that he had to get special permission and had to go through the 10-game conditioning to go down to Coachella Valley and then obviously join them in the playoffs because he was of age and Pretty much if you're of age to play junior hockey in the CHL and you are if CHL rights, you cannot play in the American Hockey League. There's a whole thing with that. Right. And, but yeah. for Augustine, and there's been many guys have done this. Jack Eichel, Jacob Truba, uh, Dylan Larkin, all these guys were one and dones in college hockey. Um, I can't remember how long Johnny Gaudreau played. I, have to, I don't have that in front of my head, but I know that was a guy that didn't go all four years. But once again, for goaltenders, it's different. Right. And Kale, Kale McCarr is another one. Kale McCarr could have played more at UMass and didn't. And unfortunately for him, he missed out on a national championship. He might have won a Stanley Cup, but that, you know, that doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Um, but I had both goaltenders because if you ever see a goaltender go up from call, like Devin Levi is this crazy exception because the Sabres were bad and they wanted to give him an opportunity right away coming out of college. But it's a rarity that goaltenders get those opportunities because it is such an adjustment. And if a goal, like if Kale McCarr gets beat as a rookie, coming out of college. Oh, well, you know what? He's just adjusting. Devin Levi gets beat. A crooked number goes up on the scoreboard. It's a, the consequences are a little bit bigger for goaltenders. So I would expect Augustine to play three, if not four years at Michigan state. So he can better develop as a, as a, as a man physically and as a goaltender as well, because he's going to obviously get more playing time. I mean, the only reason why Luca DePosco played for Michigan State over at the GLI was because Augustine was overseas playing for Team USA. Nothing wrong with his performance. He played well in the two games for the Spartans, but Augustine's a better goaltender. And if Augustine keeps it up at this rate, he will get the Jeff Lurk treatment, the Ryan Miller treatment, and will go through the ranks. Ryan Miller, fruitful career, U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer eventually, Hobie Baker Award winner, started off in the American League with Rochester before going up to Buffalo. Was fortunate enough that he got... He came in at the right time when Dominic Hostick was, you know, came into Detroit and there was injuries with the Buffalo Sabres goaltenders and became part near rookie of the year goaltender with Buffalo. But 
you know, all goaltenders really will start off in the minor leagues. I mean, Carey Price started off with Hamilton. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Howard obviously started with the Griffins and I can't remember where Roberto Luongo played, but he didn't go right to Florida. I know that for a fact, but Kenny Dryden, there's another one. Kenny Dryden played for Nova Scotia before he ever went to the Montreal Canadiens. Like the list goes on and on. And I think the only last goaltender I can think of that was successful coming out of the draft or whatever was Tom Barrasso. He got drafted at high school, but that's the 1980s different time. But yeah, I think Augustine going back to your question after this long winding road of nonsense <laughs> is the fact that Augustine should probably play a couple of years in Michigan at Michigan state. And I think Michigan state wants that too. I mean, right now, shoot, they're tops of the big 10. I mean, why would yeah. you want your goaltender to leave after one year when you can be, you know, you can really create something there after Michigan state being terrible dating back to the Jake. I mean, I think the last time they were good was when they had Jake Hildebrand, who once again, great Michigan state goaltender never quite worked out. Unfortunately, the pro ranks. I think what you're saying in everything you've said there is that the Red Wings current goaltender situation or their problems do not lie in their minor league organizations or any of their recent draft picks for the next, at least probably two years. The, the thing is they have the solution the to that there. problem. They just need to be patient with them. Cause I, I think there was too much expectation for Philip Larson right away. And he crumbled under the pressure and I think with Kosa going down to the coast in year one, because remember Larson tried to make it work in year one with Grand Rapids, yeah. didn't work out. Getting Kosa the opportunity to play at a lower level, get split time with Lethman, become two of the best goaltenders in the ECHL last year, obviously didn't come up with a championship. But the fact of the matter is he got that opportunity and got a lot of playing time and got a lot of confidence. And it's kind of carried a little bit to this season. And even when he went through that stretch of not playing, when Hutchinson was getting all those starts, he's been able to get over bad games quicker and plays better after them, which is such a big step for a goaltender at his age and just playing second year pro because some goaltenders are very, I was horrible. If I had a bad game, I would be miserable and it might affect me my second game. Maybe that's why I'm doing, you know, writing and podcasting now is because I was such a nutcase, <laughs> but that's why I like Kosa because he's, he's learning more about that and he's developing more and he has people that, and I think, and Arupe Koisana, he's been, I've been able to talk to him. It's such a different way of looking at things than what we saw with the previous regime and at the goaltending position. So I really think both the mixture of that experience, getting more playing time, all of that is helping Kosa out. And if he keeps it up and plays his cards right, I know things are a little bit full up in Detroit right now, but if he just stays patient and goes the course, I think he can eventually get to that level. I agree. I just think everyone needs to understand patience with these kids. That's that's the thing. Kids. They're just they're, kids. they're just they're just kids. <laughs> is what everyone yep. said when Canada lost in the quarterfinals, but let's be honest, they're <laughs> they're adults. Oh god. All right. Well then to move on from the nonsense there, we did ask for some questions tonight. We had a couple come through. Oh, we asked them out on Twitter there. And you know what? Maybe Tyler's opinion will be interesting on these too. Oh and, no. uh, <laughs> I think well no, I, I think uh Tyler's opinion would have been interesting when we had that last question last episode. My oh, God, we should that one almost killed me, us. Let's what, ask. Which one was it? My question? Yeah, the bear and the no, moose. Like we couldn't agree on either, so I took the moose and Brandon took the bear. What an idiot! <laughs> uh, no, the question was which one of the Red Wings prospects outside of Edmondson uh, that's currently with Grand Rapids do we think will be has the most potential in the NHL and who will be a bust? But We'll jump into this week's questions. We won't make you answer that one because you have to actually face these players and um, 
Yeah, I don't yeah. want to put you in that situation. But no, this week's questions. First one from Don Curtis Jr. How has Casper looked? Is he improving and learning the North American ice? I think well, I, he's looked much better recently. I think he's starting. I think we're seeing a second half or post Christmas break uh, breakout like we hoped we would with him. But what do you think? I'll, I'll let Nick go first on this one. I think Marco has been coming along quite nicely the last four games. Uh, one thing that you've seen with him is he's he's more noticeable. Uh, he has been putting up those points. We've been tracking him a little bit more as well uh, just while he's out there. The other thing I've noticed, too, is he is on that second power play with Amadeus. And so I think that's also been helping the two of those kids figure it out. And hopefully we can see them both on the first power play. Uh, but I think he's adjusted. I mean, he, I we knew with the international kids, it, it takes them a little bit of time to get in the groove. And this is right when most of them, it starts clicking right after Christmas break. So he's right where... I'd like to see him. I mean, he's, I don't have his stats in front of me, but I think he's playing. You like his stats, sir? I, uh, UK, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, 31 games played, three goals, 11 assists, 14 points, minus five. Horrible defensive numbers. No, I think, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. No, I, I think for, Casper for him, it, it's, it's another thing of, it's taken a minute to adjust. I know everyone had these high expectations for him because his first game in pro hockey in North America was with the Red Wings. And I don't want to, I'm not going to say those are inflated expectations, but when you get that opportunity right away, you know, sometimes you can think, oh, this is where I'm going to be. It was not going to be the case. The Red Wings were far out of the playoff hunt. They had an opportunity to bring up a bunch of kids, let them play. That's why Simon Edvinson got so much time in the later stages last season. And unfortunately, Edvinson got hurt. He might've been with the Red Wings this year and that not been the case, but for Casper, I think there's, there's that bit of confidence that he's getting and, when you get playing time, when you get power play minutes, you kind of get a little bit more pep in your step. And, you know, like it's in the American Hockey League, too, is such a different game compared to the NHL as well. Like, obviously, there are players that can play in both leagues and guys that should be in the NHL are in the HL. That happens. But it's a, it's a slightly tougher game. It can be a little bit harder for for kids coming over. So I think for him, the fact that he is getting points and and getting better looks as well. I think that's going to help him out in the long run. Once again, he might, he's another guy that I think is going to, he is in the Red Wings plans for sure. Hence the high draft pick, but I don't, I think that's a guy that's going to get on the team next season, not necessarily this season. So if he keeps just playing hard, doing the little things, right, eventually the numbers are going to come up a little bit better. He's going to get his name on the score sheet more often, and that's going to lead to more opportunities up on the top six and whatnot. And obviously possibly to Nick's point on the top power play unit. We talked a little bit about Mazer earlier and like how he's like, he's going to score and he's going to punch you in the face afterwards. And then that's a lot like Casper. And I'd like to see, and I wanted to mention this earlier, but I want to see him and Mazer, maybe Bergen on a line together. You know, if Sardik gets pulled up, see how they do. I mean, give it a chance, see how they do. Maybe that gives Casper that little bit of motivation, a little bit more pep in the step, and a little bit more confidence of being on the first line with, uh, with Mazer, with Bergen. I mean, those two. Casper's not a goal. He's not a huge goal scorer. That's not what we drafted him for. I mean, he, it was more of the setup guy. And give that to give that to Bergie. Bergie's a shooter. He's not the setup guy this year. At least uh, last year, he was more of that setup guy. And then you're getting Mazer going too. So I mean, I think that could be a piece that we might keep an eye on. And so hopefully, <laughs> we see this line be put out there later, sooner than later. But 
just something that I thought of too of like those two guys play the similar style. It would be interesting to see how that how they play together. I can't fully grade Marco Casper's performance until the uh, team shares face-off stats with us. <laughs> That's what oh, I, I need to see. I need to see, yeah. I need to see how he is in the face-off. Because, I mean, prior in the interview Saturday, prior to the game after Friday, Dan said in the interview they were under 40% in the face-off circle in that Friday win. And I know we've, you know we've tried to keep an eye on it, but it's so hard to track that. And... Faceoffs has been a struggle for this team, and you know, you got to point to guys like Casper and Lombardi. Like, I want to see those stats. Like, are they are they doing well in the faceoff dot? Are they getting smoked every single time? What's that look like? Uh, that's gonna be a really key point to Casper's future with the team is is playing that center role. So, I'd like to see that stat. But out of the other stats, happy with his performance so far. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, the last question was, how do you guys feel about Mazer, or how do you guys feel Mazer's been developing this year? And I think we touched a lot on that earlier, so we won't spend too much time on it. He's been doing but, meh. Yeah, meh. Meh. <laughs> you should be a 40-point guy by now. What the heck? 20 and 20. Come on now. Black. Yeah, I mean, he's tw- 25 games in, nine goals, six assists, 50 <laughs> points. He's plus one. He's got 28 penalty minutes on top of that as well. He's at three power play goals. Um, tied for second in the team with power play goals right now behind Joel Esperance. So. I mean, he, after he's come back from injury, I feel like he's done pretty well. Um, I think it took him some time to get up to speed. But if if what we have seen the last seven games, eight games, carries forward in the same trajectory, I think he's doing all right. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to hit. He's going to be a guy that's going to hit 50 points or whatnot. But I just it that's why it's so hard for for some people. And I remember I've I've, I've known people that that will cover the game in some form, but they will kind of just have to follow based on the box score and. I myself, I've covered international tournaments that are played in the wee hours in the morning and sometimes have to rely on that stuff. But when you watch the game and you watch the way Mazer plays, you can see that he's got a little bit more pizzazz in his game. And you, you like you mentioned, he's, the nastiness is there. But with that is the confidence. He's he's not, you know, picking at players, chirping them if he's not scoring and not putting up points. I mean, that's you kind of look dumb when you're yelling from the bench and you're minus two and you played nine minutes like that's you're not going to do that if you're a guy like Carter Mazer. So. The fact that he's he's playing with he's playing with good players, obviously, and I, I I'm doing a piece right now for College Hockey News on Lindenwood, and Rick Zombo is the head coach, former Detroit Red Wings, St. Louis Blue, played almost a thousand games in the National Hockey League. He says he doesn't want to recruit good players or great players just because they're great players. He wants to make sure he puts players that are he wants to make sure he can pair good players with good players because that's when they really step up. And I think the way Mazers, who he's been paired with this year, the guys, his line mates. You know, whether it be guys like Berggren or whether it be Zarnik, I think he's just finding his niche because he's playing with a lot of good players. I'm not saying by himself he's not a good player. Do not take that that way. However, it's worked out that his numbers have come up while he's played with a guy like Berggren, while he's played with a guy like Zarnik. So all that considered, I think, with those guys and being with a guy like Zarnik, too, who's played in the NHL for a long time, you know, he can teach Mazur a thing or two in order to eventually get up to the NHL. So, yeah, I think he's been progressing pretty well, especially given the fact of coming back from an injury like we've talked about. Yeah, I talked. Uh, I, I did send uh, on Twitter over the week. I, some people were asking about how Carter is, has been, and I'm like, it's just he had that injury. He's coming back. It's He's he's doing well. I mean, he's right where we think he would be at, at this point in the season. I'm a little surprised when you tell me that he's got 28 penalty minutes. I thought, uh, you know, the well, 10 of that... those were that misconduct, right? 
I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like, the top guy right now is Dominic Shai with 43 and the new power with 39. And Didier with 38, which are those three are expected. And then you have Carter right there. I thought Cross would have had more. Well, did <laughs> I can't remember. Unfortunately, like I said, these games are starting to blend together for me. Did Mazer have two misconducts this season? Or is it just the one in the game against Toronto? I think it was just the one in the game against Toronto. I know Didier had another one at some point, or one or one or two of them at this point. Yeah. Those are the only misconducts I remember off the top of my head. Because he's not because Mazer's been is... fighting kids, unfortunately. I mean, he's yeah. he, he's just he's just very good at letting his opinion be known and saying words in a loud manner yeah. at people. <laughs> Usually, if he's taking penalties, the other team's probably taking penalties around the same time, unless it's a little trip or a, or a hold or a hook or whatever the heck they're going to call now. But yeah. I'm happy with his performance there. He needs to start drawing more penalties. He's pick up the uh, skills of his roommate there, Amadeus, and start drawing more penalties. If That'd I think nice. if he uses speed more often, I, I believe that's one part of his game that's just not quite noticeable or not utilized as much. I mean, he's got great hands, he's got a good shot, but if he can get his feet moving more often, you know, that's how you draw penalties. I mean, I, I it's so dumb. I say it on the broadcast whenever I do a game. Like, oh, yep, he got he drew that tripping penalty because he kept his feet moving. Kids, that's what you got to do. You want to draw penalties, keep your feet moving. Well, you, you say it for even pros as well. If you want to make plays, if you want to force the other team to have to hold you, to hook you, do whatever they have to do to slow you down, move your feet, get the speed going. I think if Mazer starts doing that, but it's hard for Mazer right now because we mentioned the Lions been playing with Austin Zarnick and Jonathan Bergen. Bergen. Bergen's he leads the play. He'll carry the puck up the ice and Mazer and Zarnick are like, I'll stand right here with my stick on the ice in the high slot. Nice feed score. Like that's, that is what they have to do. And I think if Mazer was on a, I'm not saying Mazer should go on a different line, but if he was on a different line, I think we see that from him a little bit more. Yeah. That's all the questions we had this week. I have nothing <laughs> much really else to wrap for the Griffins. We can I can throw in a dumb question. You want me to throw my weekly dumb question in here already? Or you guys want me to save that for you for when you guys are back on the show by yourselves on Wednesday? We'll, we'll save that for the next one there because uh, you you know you mentioned before you had a couple Toledo notes and it would go without saying not to bring up the walleye a little bit. We won't go too in depth with them, uh, but just to highlight what they did over this past weekend because you know we did set it up with uh, actual preview of what they were doing and they had three games this weekend and one two lost one in overtime. They had Fort Wayne on um, Friday and they smoked them four nothing. Jan Bednar hosting a shutout in that one. That was just like the day of. Good organizational goalie performance where you saw Kosa only let in that one against Iowa. You saw Augustine win gold, and you see Bednar post a shutout. That day just felt like goalie gods were looking down on us with a smile. Thank God for once. And then, well, they go into Cincinnati and walk out with a 4-3 to three overtime win there, which is always good for them to beat Cincinnati. And then, unfortunately, do lose to Cincinnati today, 5-4 to four at home. Uh, so they got a little bit of revenge there. Toledo was rocking their sweet Spider-Man jerseys, which Nick is fortunate enough to have one of those. Uh, I think you're debuting that for whatever Heroes Night for in Grand Rapids, right? Yeah, this Saturday. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Um, one note about I mean, Toledo, you guys already mentioned, Trenton Bliss on Friday, or uh, Saturday, getting an assist on uh, Bergen's goal. First point. Oh, yeah. We didn't even mention he got called up. Yeah. My Michigan Tech Oops. boy, Trenton Bliss. <laughs> I was so proud to see. I, mean, I, I broadcast a lot of games against Michigan Tech over the years, so seeing a guy like him get called up, and then of course him and Drew Warren at the same time because I broadcasted for Western Michigan. It just it warms my heart to see these kids, these kids go pro, which just makes me happy. Yeah, I mean you can't not mention Toledo without mentioning him. He's still third on the team in points right now, thirty-one points in twenty-eight games down there. 
uh, you know, as the top three in points go in Toledo. Brandon Hawkins, of course, 45 points in 31 games, just leading the ECHL. And as on a 13-game point streak, I believe they mentioned today, because he got an assist today. So absolutely tearing it up. <laughs> and then, uh, again, the surprise of the season, Sam Craggs continues to tear it up as well, 34 points in 31 games. So the Finch are looking good. They're now leading the Western Conference after this weekend and only one point out of leading the ECHL. So did you did you mention when the last time they lost in regulation? In regulation, uh it's been over a month. It's been over a freaking month. I know we yeah, talked a lot got, last was season. It, was it twelve is it twelve points they have atop or atop the division now? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve points over Fort Wayne. Got some Hershey Bear That's- stuff going on down there. As the Iowa Heartlanders have dropped to last in the division, I wonder why. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, they lead. Uh, they lead the Kansas City Mavericks by two points in the conference, which is nuts. Just nuts. Well, I mean Toledo. I mean the. I remember when they wore the Toledo blade, and there was never much hoopla about Toledo hockey. But as soon as the the ownership changed, and they really invested in the walleye and Huntington Bank. I mean the arena there is is beautiful. It's fantastic facility. I mean. I'm, I'm not going to knock a lot of the, I know there's a lot of people that will, there's certain ECHL barns that aren't quite up to snuff as some people would like, but I, you know, the way they run that franchise, like it's one of those things that if this were the 1990s, they'd be one of those IHL teams that was trying to like buy their, like they were like, they would try to be like the Detroit Vipers. They were like Bill Davidson Vipers, millions of dollar contracts. And they would try to, you know, treat themselves like an NHL franchise. And, and the fact that they have a lot of backing, of course, from the Red Wings and great support from the Griffins fans as well, like that franchise of, is is fantastic. I yeah, it, I think one thing that we got to also acknowledge, as you know, as Nick and I being Wings fans here, is the Red Wings are one of the few teams that are really have really figured out how to use their ECHL affiliate as a development team. There's still a lot of teams still trying to figure that out and how to make that happen. And you know, we talked to the goalie thing earlier, and what we didn't even mention Bednar. And Bednar is the prospect in the system who we have to acknowledge and could, you know, he could do the same thing Coase has done where he comes out of camp next year and he's in Grand Rapids with Coase. So things could get really wild here. But the fact that the Red Wings have figured this out and the fact that Toledo puts on the show that they put on, I mean, it's very clear as all the players have mentioned and all the fans know their goal. They have one goal and one goal this year, and that's to win a Kelly Cup. And if they play the way they've played so far this season, I don't see that out of the realm of possibility. I mean, you got to think 20, 22, 4, 2, and 3 is their record this season. Just insane. Sounds like one of those. That sounds like a top end college team, not a pro team. Uh, their goal differential is 141 goals scored to 104 against. So That's 40. Insane. Which, shout out Grand Rapids. We're back down to a one goal differential. But yeah, Griffins, 93 goals for, 94 against. But yes, with that. We will wrap up this week. We talked about everything. Exciting things coming up. Grand Rapids does play Milwaukee on Wednesday, so we won't have a preview for that one. We'll be recording Wednesday after the game, and then we'll have a preview for the weekend ahead against Rockford. But thank you, Tyler, for joining us on this one. It was great to have you. We'll have you on some future ones uh, if this one goes over well. (laughs) But with that, thank you to everyone for tuning in this week. Thank you to the Hockey Podcast Network for being an awesome host. Thank you to DraftKings for being great sponsors. And again, thank you, Tyler. We appreciate you. And thank you, Nick, for sticking through this after a drive to Detroit. Everybody have a great week. Go Griffins. And we will talk to you guys on Thursday. Love you. Bye.
Thank you for tuning in to the Hockeytown West podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at HockeytownWPod and your host, Nick at GR Hockey Guy and Brandon at Brandon GR Hockey.